0: Welcome to the NORAC podcast number six. I am your host, Paul, and together with my colleague, Anushka, we will talk to NORAC member, Archana Mehendale, about a case study she co-authored with uh, Ajay Singh entitled, India Education Outcome Fund, which was recently published on the NORAC website. The case study is a result of an innovative finance for education project which is partially funded by the Swiss universities, sudak Cofer program, NORAG partners with six universities in this two-year project to research and develop multimedia materials for teaching and e-learning on the underexplored topic of innovative financing in education and development. The publication is the first field-paced study of a series portraying how innovative financing for education has been implemented in diverse contexts in the global South. Today we will discuss the concept and design process of the India Education Outcome Fund, an innovative of social financial India. It showcases the process of establishing a platform for, for providing sustainable and innovative funding at scale. And the case study is also available on the NORAG website and you can find it at www.norag.org forward IFE. The two authors of the case study Archana Mehandale and Ajay Singh represent the project partner Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai, India. Just a few words about Archana with whom we speak today. She is an adjunct honorary professor at the Centre for Education, Innovation and Action Research, Tata Institute of Social Science, OTIS. She had earlier worked as professor with the Centre and was also a research lead on the Connected Learning Initiative. Her research interests lie in the area of education law and policy, regulation, innovative financing and education. So you can find uh, NORAG on the social media on Twitter at NORAG, on Facebook at norag.network. And now I will hand over the mic to Anushka for a lively discussion with Archana.
1: Thank you, Paul. And hello, Archana. We're really glad that you could join us today. And thank you for coming on to NORAG Podcast Episode 6.
2: Thank you, Anushka. Thank you for inviting me to speak today.
1: So your case study explains the process of designing and establishing a platform, the India Education Outcomes Fund, and how it is working to provide innovative financing, which can be used at scale to assist the country in meeting its education development goals. But for our listeners to get a better understanding, I wondered if you could explain to us what the India Education Outcomes Fund is in a nutshell and what its main goals are.
2: Uh, Yes, Uh, so at the outset, I would like to mention that the India Education Outcomes Fund, which is called the IEOF for short, is still under development. And our case study describes the process by which this platform is being set up. The IEOF is uh, the first outcomes fund dedicated to education in India, and uh, it was established by Social Finance India in 2018. Its main goal is to provide sustainable and innovative funding at scale so as to deliver educational outcomes. Its main aim, in fact, if you see the prospectus, is to create transformational impact in Indian education through funding 1 billion US dollars of outcomes focused activities by 2030. Its mission is to create an ecosystem of skilled service providers, investors, and funders to operationalize scalable outcomes-focused solutions that address India's pressing education challenges. In fact, the IEOF has identified five thrust areas on which innovative financing mechanisms are being developed. They are early childhood education, foundational learning skills, secondary learning, school to workforce transition and inclusive education, thereby covering the entire spectrum of the education sector.
1: Wow, thank you for explaining that. Those are some significant goals. And um, I have a question following up with that. So when you say sustainable and innovative funding at scale, In your case study, what does that look like in the Indian context and what makes it different from traditional funding strategies that were used before? Uh, Well, that's actually the crux of this case study and I'll first talk about
2: the Indian context and then explain how the IUOF is different from both the traditional funding strategies, as well as the development impact bonds. Um, so in India, although the government remains the single largest contributor of education financing, its allocation of 3.4% roughly of the domestic gross domestic product amounts to 63 billion US dollars annually. But this still falls short of 6% target, which is enunciated in the national education policy, as well as the Education 2030 framework for action. And this gap in funding poses a threat to the opportunity of reaping the demographic dividends in India. On the other hand, there is an increasing involvement of the private sector to fill in this funding gap. According to a report uh, brought out by Kaizen in 2014, this investment is evident in core education, which is provision of K-12 and college parallel education, which includes preschools and tutoring, and in ancillary education, which includes textbooks, education technology, and such other services. And this investment from the private sector accounts for nearly $55 US dollars annually. So in addition, uh, because India's uh, economic growth and global positioning, it is no longer deemed as a poor developing country. As a result, foreign aid inflows to education in India have also declined. And there is a greater emphasis on mobilization of domestic resources, including the mandatory obligation imposing private companies uh, to spend 2% of their average net profits of three years for social causes, which is commonly referred to as corporate social responsibility or CSR. And this statutory requirement is helping release of funds from the private sector. And there is also a growth in impact investing in India. So in this context, and I'm now coming to the second part of your question, the IEOF platform differs from existing traditional funding mechanisms of education, as well as from the typical impact bond structures on education. It differs from the traditional funding strategies by way of its focus on scale outcomes and its unique pay for success model. And as a marketplace, it is intended to create impact at scale by addressing the limitations of individual bespoke development impact bonds. In terms of commissioning structures, if you see, which is a very integral part of development impact bonds, Individual bespoke deals have lengthy negotiations and structuring processes. But the IEOF, as its prospectus suggests, seeks to accelerate the contracting time by developing pooled funds and thereby lowering the administrative costs. And this standardization of processes actually will bring down the costs and what they're proposing is also use of a rate card approach for delivering specific outcomes. So the scale itself is expected uh, to be achieved uh, through the creation of larger pool of outcomes fund. And this will include multiple similar contracts to be offered in a given area, unlike the one-off independent impact bonds. So this will bring down the overheads of contracting as well as the high costs of evaluation thereby making it cost-effective and efficient platform that will deliver impact at scale.
1: The India Education Outcomes Fund definitely stands out. So thank you for explaining how it does. But I also wondered what the design process was like, like how did it begin and how were the key actors approached who were taking part in it?
2: Yeah, this to me was the, the most interesting part of the case study. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, we were very interested in documenting the process of setting up the IEOF ecosystem. And the case study describes this process in detail. Our interviews uh, with key respondents tell us that uh, by 2017, there was a realization that the individual bespoke impact bonds that I was referring to earlier, which have one service provider, one outcome payer, and one or more risk investors have an inherent limit in terms of their scalability. So in August 2017, in a meeting between uh, Sir Ronald Cohen, who is the chairperson of the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment, and Mr. Ratan Tata, the chairperson of Tata Trusts, the need to establish an entity that would anchor outcome-focused financing at scale and also align this with the achievement of the sustainable development goals came up. And Tata Trusts, I must mention here, is one of the largest philanthropies in India. And uh, we were told when we were doing our interviews how Sir Cohen had also reached out to some of the people associated with the education sector and the social sector in India before he constituted the board of Social Finance India. He also met with officials at the NITI Aayog, which is the National Planning Agency, and the bureaucrats to understand the potential for such structures in India, because this was being tried out for the first time. And uh, then uh, Social Finance India actually came into being in 2018 with the support of Tata Trusts and the Global Steering Group for Impact Investment. But the creation of an ecosystem requires putting together a set of relevant stakeholders at different levels. And in this context, we are told that identification of high quality interventions and service providers who will actually deliver education outcomes was important. And it was also important that the service providers could absorb innovative funding and deliver impact at scale. And this was a very crucial task. So at first, the IUF conducted a service provider landscape analysis. And after shortlisting a set of providers who fit into this criteria, they did due diligence on various aspects like uh, the legal standing and governance, finances, track record of the organizations, the ability to deliver impact, risk management, feasibility of scaling up, as well as efficacy of the delivery. Um, In the pilot DIB that was uh, being uh, designed at that time, the third-party evaluator was identified through a process of competitive selection. And uh, as far as the potential risk investors and outcome payers goes, companies that were offering CSR funds, foundations, and donors were roped in. And uh, this process as we learned in our case study constituted a major part of building the ecosystem.
1: So I understand that the India Education Outcomes Fund is still under development as you were saying earlier, but I wondered if you could share with us what stage it is at as of now and what the next steps are gonna be in the foreseeable future.
2: Uh, Yes, uh, the process of setting up an ecosystem for innovative financing through this pay-for-success kind of mechanisms is still under development at the IEOF. And our case study discusses the design considerations, choices made, as well as the implementation mechanisms being explored and adopted. At the time uh, when we collected data for this case study, The IEOF had already developed and convened all partners to launch their first pilot impact bond in Haryana state of India. Um, It had developed a strategy to deploy outcomes funds for a 10-year period. It had conducted thorough due diligence to evaluate uh, about 150 plus service providers. It had consulted with industry experts in order to validate their approach. It had secured commitments for risk capital. And it had also evaluated multiple forms of funding engagement for risk and outcome funders, given the regulatory norms. And at the time our case study actually went in for publication, that is in July 2020, the pilot impact bond in Haryana, which focuses on developing foundational learning skills among government school children was announced.
1: Well, that's, that's really cool. I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Um, but something so big as the India Education Outcomes Fund definitely comes with challenges as you have detailed in your case study but I wondered if you could let us know what are the biggest issues that um, you studied in seeing um, how the India Education Outcomes Fund was set up. Uh, Yes, this case study really gave us an opportunity
2: to speak with uh, various key stakeholders uh, as respondents uh, who were involved in setting up this platform. And it really helped us understand uh, the challenges they had faced during this process. Um, One of the challenges in this initial period was to find the right set of people with a unique blend of skills and expertise. Uh, Those coming in from the finance sector needed to be sensitized to the social sector and vice versa. Uh, There was also a learning curve for those coming from the finance sector because the efficiencies uh, expected in the finance world were found to be lacking in the social or the development sector. Uh, We also learned that the initial delay in starting off was due to these initial teething troubles, as we may say, and an early inertia in terms of getting all the stakeholders aligned. Uh, There was no template or formula to work with And uh, since this is such a new space, it was challenging to come up even with structures and get the stakeholders excited about these structures and the idea itself. Uh, The second challenge was related to the existing regulatory framework in India. And I think this is going to be a big challenge until uh, changes are made to the regulatory framework. So as you know, the legal uh, frameworks, the tax framework, as well as the overall regulatory norms, impose a number of restrictions on philanthropies, foundations, as well as the CSR, which is the Corporate Social Responsibility. And uh, these restrictions are on who can invest, who can earn returns, how monies can be invested, as well as restrictions on repatriation of returns, offshore investors. And uh, since the marketplace was envisioned to unlock new capital, it had to straddle between the commercial imperatives as well as the social imperatives and balance the regulatory norms uh, that were applicable to both the financial sectors as well as the charities. In fact, uh, the structure of the pilot DIB in Haryana that I mentioned is unique because it is trying to innovatively work within these regulatory
1: boundaries. So after working on this case study extensively, I'm sure that you were able to take away some key lessons um, to finish off. So what can this case study tell us about the use of innovative financing in education in a broader sense?
2: Uh, yes, so uh, on a lighter note, apart from uh, telling me how much more that uh, that is there out there to be researched, uh, there are a number of uh, key lessons that we took away. I mean, there's still a lot to be learned. Um, but as I mentioned, the IEOF is a unique first-of-its-kind outcomes fund on education in India. And the process of setting up this ecosystem actually gave us some critical insights into innovative financing for education. And I must also add that most of these issues that I'm about to mention now were pointed to us by the key stakeholders themselves. Uh, First, uh, the impact bond as an instrument is not an appropriate answer for all educational challenges. In fact, many times deep and significant work may be done by smaller niche NGOs, because they have grassroots connections. Sometimes they are not capable of absorbing the kind of funding that an impact bond seeks to bring in or produce outcomes that can be measured without incurring a huge expense. Uh, Then there is also a problem of measurability since not all outcomes are easily measurable, which raises a concern if pay for success models are biased towards programs that target only outcomes that are measurable. This may leave out programs that are worth pursuing, but which cannot be easily measured or quantified with existing tools. And it could lead to also segmentation of education sector, where certain interventions get seen as D-I-B-ABLE, which is debable, uh, that was one of the terms used by the respondents, and others are not. Um, The second point is that between supporting experimentation and proven initiatives, there is a challenge to search for that sweet spot, which balances the two. The question that needs to be assessed on a case to case basis is how much risk is acceptable to the parties involved. Currently, one of the concerns is that only proven models will get selected for replication or scaling by using these funds, thereby actually not encouraging experimentation. In fact, if the program is too risky, then the risk investor will not put in funds. But if it is already established as an idea that works, then the outcome funder may say that, why is there a need for a risk investor? And uh, when they can directly fund the organization. Uh, The third point is that, There is a strong criticism that the idea of tapping into non-conventional funding is not occurring because it is the same philanthropic funding that is getting tapped and channelized into impact bonds. The key is really to convince the government to fund the outcomes and tap into the private risk capital. The actual risk investors will need to be companies who have a dual bottom line, not just financial, but also social bottom line. While uh, this is true, I must also say that currently when philanthropic organisations serve as risk investors in the impact bond structure, they are offering a nuanced charity, because they can keep reinvesting the funds to get multiple outcomes with the same funding. They are also able to provide the upfront funding for programmes, that have some risk of not achieving all the promised outcomes and would therefore not receive funding from conventional funders. And it actually ends up saving funds for the government, which need not invest in programs that may not yield the outcomes. Uh, But some may not even see this as a financial innovation or an instrument at all, as it does not bring additional funding into education. But uh, I must also say that these innovations aim to provide, improve efficiency and produce outcomes. And therefore, they make the existing funds for education go further. The fourth point, uh, as we think, is that of the cost of setting up the ecosystem itself and its claimed efficiencies. And these issues actually deserve further study. The argument of efficiency in contrast with bespoke transactions that I spoke of earlier will apply only when there is scale and a number of pooled funds that share the administrative and transaction costs, thereby creating efficiency. But at present, the question of what constitutes scale and a scale large enough to produce this efficiency is ambiguous. In other words, there is lack of clarity on what is the tipping point at which the scale of the ecosystem starts showing those gains of efficiency. Because until that tipping point is uh, reached, the costs of setting up the IOF and the ecosystem are likely to be more expensive or quite expensive compared to the designing of one of bespoke structures. So while achieving scale is necessary to bring efficiency gains, What must also be noted is that factors like readiness of the sector, the pipeline of appropriate programs that can get into the DIP structure, regulatory norms, availability of investors, outcome payers, these can also create serious impediments for scaling. And lastly, I would like to say that India with its size, complexity, and challenges of education sector, requires additional resources to be allocated for education in order to achieve the sustainable development goals. And innovative financing is a new and a very promising concept. Um, The IEOF with its aim to catalyze 1 billion US dollars for outcomes focused activity by 2030 is very ambitious and tapping new sources of funding remains a challenge. Uh, So its ability to create pooled funds, demonstrate efficient and effective models for achieving education outcomes at scale is going to be worth studying in future.
1: Thank you so much, Arjuna, for sharing those lessons with us and our listeners. And I'm sure that there might be more questions after this podcast. So if you want to learn more about the India Education Outcomes Fund, you can contact us at NORAG at graduateinstitute.ch or you can contact Archana directly to ask her case study specific questions at tiss.edu. So thank you again, Arjuna, for giving us your time today and explaining such an interesting case study. I'm going to hand it over to Paul now, and I hope you have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Anushka. Thank you for having me
0: over. I, I echo, of course, Anushka's uh, thanks in giving such a masterful explanation of the India Education Outcome Fund. In this time during which our listeners might be working from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we are bringing in this type of uh, content, which we hope that they can enjoy uh, and uh, learn more from the comfort of their homes. We hope that you all stay safe and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the NORAC podcast, your podcast on global development in education policies and practice.